Some stories are so good, they need to be told twice. And today, we're going to talk about a classic tale of courage, determination, of hope that first showed up on screen in 1975. And now it's back for an encore, a remake, to inspire and challenge a new generation who may not be familiar with this remarkable story. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focused on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, I won't keep you in suspense any longer. The movie remake I'm talking about is The Hiding Place, which is the story of Corey Ten Boom. She was a courageous woman at the heart of the Dutch underground resistance in World War II. Corey and those she worked with helped some 800 Jews to find shelter and protection during the Nazis' reign of terror. Today, Paul Acey talks to Hiding Place producer Pete Peterson about the new version of this film, which is in theaters today, August 3rd, and Saturday, August 5th. You'll find a link to the movie's homepage to order tickets in the episode notes for today's show. And in our second segment, we'll pivot in a more musical direction, as plugged-in summer intern Sarah Rasmussen tells us about a movie in theaters that's about, well, theater. It's called, appropriately, Theater Camp. And with all the hubbub about Barbie and Oppenheimer and Sound of Freedom the last few weeks, you might have missed hearing about this one. As always, we would encourage you to subscribe to The Plugged In Show wherever you get your podcasts, if you haven't done so already. And we'd love it if you left a review as well as your feedback to potential Plugged In Show listeners helps them have a sense of what this show is all about. Thanks so much. Well, with no further ado, let's hear from Paul Acey as he talks with Hiding Place producer Pete Peterson. I'm here with Pete Peterson, executive director of the Christian storytelling collective The Rabbit Room and producer of The Hiding Place, based on the riveting wartime experiences of Corey Ten Boom. It'll be in theaters August 3rd and 5th in North America and rolling wide later in the month. Welcome, Pete. Hey, Paul. How's it going? It's going well. It's so good to talk with you. Just had a chance to uh, to watch the movie. Uh, it was really fascinating because I didn't know much about Corey Ten Boom actually before I watched this. Um, what attracted you to her story? So interestingly enough, I had the exact same experience. I was uh, asked back in 2018, I believe, um, to adapt the book. And when they asked me, I was honored to be asked, but my answer was, well, hold on, let me go read it. I've never read it before. I'm not <laughs> sure who Corey Ten Boom is. Let me see if this is a story I think I can tell. Because, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to take work for work's sake. I want to make sure it's something I feel <laughs> called to do, right? Mm -hmm. And so I went home and read the story in a weekend and was just kind of bowled over by it and thought, man, I can really do something here. So it was a privilege to be asked. And that was my first encounter really with Corey Ten Boom. And the interesting thing about that commission was that uh, the folks who asked me to write it were, it was the theater company that was founded by Jeanette Cliff George, mm -hmm. who played Corey in the film in the 70s. Really? So after she became famous from that performance, she went on and founded a theater company in Houston, Texas, which had a long career. And she was beloved in that community. And she passed away. 2017, they completed building this massive brand new state-of-the-art theater in downtown Houston and named it in her honor. And then the first thing that they did was commission a new adaptation of The Hiding Place in her honor. Wow. So I kind of went into this like naively thinking, oh yeah, this is a story, I'm going to adapt it. And then the more I got into it, the more I re realized how much weight I was having to support because I had to honor not only Corey and her legacy, but Jeanette and her legacy. These are two beloved women 
that just had powerful impacts on their the world around them. And so then I find myself having to make sure I don't flub this, <laughs> you know, which was terrifying. Yeah, it would be a lot of pressure for sure. Because Corey Timboon really is one of these figures that you hear so often about, even if you're even if you're like us and didn't know very much about her. She is sort of this legend in, in the Christian community. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned also that the story that she tells here has a lot of of current relevancy. It takes place in World War II where she's she's hiding Jews. She goes to a concentration camp and spends a great deal of time there. Um, but you mentioned that it has a lot of relevancy to today. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, sh- sure. Well, one of the things I love about, you know, I, I think it was kind of a Dutch view of the world was that because, you know, the Dutch tended to be neutral, you know, like they were neutral in World War One. They tried to be neutral in World War II until they were invaded. So they had this real sense of kind of hospitality to two people who thought otherwise, mm. uh, you know, and I, I feel like that's the real story of the Tim Boom family is they, their method of warfare was hospitality. Yeah. You know, we are going to take care of the people around us and we're going to respect those with whom they disagree. And, you know, it's, it gets complicated when you realize that they applied that to Germans too, mm-hmm. you know, like, uh, you know, they didn't approve of what the Germans were doing. But they also didn't hate them. Yeah, they did their best to forgive them and to love them in the midst of it. And you know that's what I think is so relevant. Like we're we're so divided in society right now, and as Christians, I think you know it's our call to be hospitable. Yeah, um, even to those with whom we disagree. That is one of the more challenging aspects of this movie in some ways, right? Because yeah. you do have very early on you have this German apprentice who comes in and features uh, pretty strongly within the story. And while Corey is saying, I'm not sure if he should be here, her father continually says, we need to we need to welcome him in. We need to love him. If he is misguided in some ways, the only way to uh, to change him will be to love him. And that yeah. is very interesting. That's sort of countercultural to what our whole society is saying right now. Right. Absolutely. Like Casper says in the in the show, um, to see something rightly, you have to see it with love. Yeah. Um, And it's by loving something that 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 thing becomes lovely, you know, which is something that we don't like. I don't like it. You know, it's hard for me. Corey didn't like it. You know, it's a hard lesson. Um, But I think, you know, that's that's part of what we're called to. And that's how you really change the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because in the movie, what you say is absolutely true. Corey didn't like that. And she's thought of as such a saint now. But in this movie, not so much. I mean, she really struggles with anger. Yeah. She really struggles with forgiveness. And she's so pragmatic compared to her spiritual sister and her father. Yeah. Um, is that pulled directly from her story? Is she as open and honest about some of her own spiritual walk as, as that? Yeah, in the book, she's pretty forthcoming about the fact that she didn't understand her sister and father sometimes, and she definitely struggled with anger. Uh, to the point of wanting to do violence to people who were hurting her sister in the concentration camp. Um, so that is very real. But like when I approached the story, like I went into it thinking, oh, well, it's this is Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. Corey Ten Boom's the hero of this story. And I came out of it realizing, no, Betsy Ten Boom is the hero of this story. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and Corey basically learns from her. So in a weird way, like I sort of mentally approached it like a superhero origin story. <laughs> like what I mean by that is I didn't want a Corey that was fully formed in scene one. I wanted at the end of the show for her to have grown to the point that she had become 
this kind of superheroic, legendary person that we all know her to be, you know, and that had to be a growth path. Uh, and ultimately, I think she's learning from her father and her sister so that when she gets to the end of, you know, the story, she's effectively become um, who they were. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. So the movie that people will be seeing, just to let folks know, it is a stage play. You are taking this, you are directly taking this from the stage to the screen. And from what I understand, The Hiding Place had a had a month-long, very, very successful run in Tennessee. Is that right? Yeah. Why bring it to the screen? What what led you to, to yeah. that decision? Well, great question. Um, it's interesting. I've been working in theater for almost 10 years now, a number of shows. And it's always a little baffling to me that like we put in so much work, so much blood, sweat, and tears. You know, I see how hard the cast works. I see how hard the set builders work. You know, it's just this magical thing that happens on stage. And then you close the show and it all evaporates into thin air. And that's it's heartbreaking to me because like I can never let somebody see what we did together. And so for a long time, I've been wanting a way to preserve the kind of work that we're doing um, because I'm so proud of everybody that's involved. And so interestingly, and during COVID when we couldn't go on the stage, uh, the director and I, and the the team that directed the film, uh, we made a short film of Wendell Berry's uh, Sonata at Payne Hollow, mm. which is a piece of theater that he wrote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a great experience of trying to figure out how can we tell cinematically tell a theater story. And we really enjoyed that process and felt like we learned some things. And then we did it again the next year with a different project. And so it was kind of like we were growing into this. And then at the same time, like with some of my other shows, we had done an audio play version after the show closed, which was another attempt to kind of capture the performances. So in a lot of senses this is was the natural outgrowth of all of that so when we put Corey's story on stage and uh you know immediately i think we we understood how powerful it was going to be to audiences and how drawn to it people would be and so we built into that project um a couple of days to get the whole film crew in and film it but then i also have to say that we really didn't want to film it in a way that people have seen stage Mm -hmm. on screen before Mm -hmm. Like we really wanted to find a kind of hybrid art form that felt much more like a feature film. So the cameras are not just kind of locked off and you're looking at the whole stage. Like there's, they're up on the stage, moving around close-ups, you know, action. Like it really, you know, you're, you're never going to forget that it's a play, but you also will be fooled into thinking it's a feature film. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an interesting hybrid that I think few have seen before. And I'm really excited to see how people respond to it. Yeah. That was one thing that I really noticed as I was watching the movie is the cinematography, just the placement of the cameras and how you feature certain scenes is really unique from, from what I've seen before. Mm -hmm. Obviously bringing this to the screen must've come with some incredible challenges as well. What was maybe the most frustrating part of the process? (laughs) Well, that's easy to answer. The show went on stage right at the end of the pandemic. Uh, It was really complicated trying to run a show then, because (laughs) if you have an actor that goes down with COVID and has to be quarantined, like you could have to cancel a show and that is tens of thousands of dollars you're losing that night. It's a big deal. Uh, And so we had to test every member of our cast every single day. And thankfully, we had a robust uh, core of understudies. 
because on opening night, our lead actress had COVID. Oh, no and way. So her understudy had to activate immediately and thankfully just blew it out of the park. Wow. She just did a great job. And so then we got our lead actress back a week later and she finished the run. But at the end of the run, we had two days to film, uh, which is just, you know, in feature film terms, capturing a whole feature in two days is kind of insane, right? Uh, but we had plotted it out and this is what we were committed to doing. And that morning, uh, the actor who played Otto tested positive. So he had to drop out and we had to activate his understudy, wow. which was heartbreaking. The, the guy who plays Otto in the show is wonderful. He does a great job. But it was heartbreaking to me that the actor who played it during, during the whole run didn't get an archive of his performance. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm so heartbroken for him, Yeah, but that worked out. And then we had another actor that day end up in an ambulance off to the hospital because he had a, a medical emergency. And then I had COVID during <laughs> shooting. <laughs> so like after all this preparation, it just felt like everything was falling apart when the camera started rolling. And I thought we're ruined. We are ruined. <laughs> but uh, it really worked out. Like, you know, people came together. They, you know, put on their big boy pants and, yeah. you know, we got through it and it was just fantastic. And I'm so proud of what everybody's accomplished. Yeah. yeah. In a production like this, it is so dependent, it seems like, on on the performances that you get. And especially in this, where you have three central characters. You have, you have Corey, mm -hmm. you have her sister, Betsy, you have her father, Casper. Can you speak to just a little bit of their dedication, their their performances? Yeah, I got to tell you, I, you know, people ask all the time, hey, are you going to put this on Broadway? You're going to put it on tour, that kind of thing. And yeah, I would love to do that kind of thing. But I, you, I just wonder, I would worry about the state of mind of the actors involved, because especially for Corey and Betsy, mm. every day to have to get up there and go through that concentration camp and the death and the the grief and all that like it it takes a real toll on a person mm -hmm. and then the other the other part is the interrogation that happens between Corey and the nazi is very intense and uh like it sends you to a dark place yeah. and so these people like they're so hard working and they're so committed you know and especially nan Gurley who plays Corey. Yeah. Um, i'm so proud of her like from the moment that they pitched the show to me i thought I'm writing this for Nan. I had worked with her before and I had, I have no control over who gets cast, but in the entire writing process, I had Nan in my head and I was writing the show in her voice. Cause I knew how, how she'd knock it out. Of the park. <laughs> and then they read it and they said, so what do you think about Nan Gurley for the part? And I was like, hallelujah, let's do it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so she's done a full uh, month of shows down in Houston, which was a sold out run. That was the world premiere. And then we reworked the whole show during COVID and remounted it here in Nashville. And she did the whole run here and also just knocked it out of the park. And she is, she's a workhorse. She's something else. Yeah. Yeah. She was yeah, so proud of all of them. She was so impressive. I thought I, I wanted to switch uh, gears just a little bit and talk a little bit about the rabbit room. Um, because being a writer, being a storytelling wonk myself, the idea of the rabbit room and what you've done with that, it's, it's an all-encompassing community, essentially, where you're talking about writing, you're talking about theater, you're talking about art, music. Uh, why is why is storytelling, why is art important within the Christian community? Great question. I have two answers. One is that it's important because it really shapes the way that we think about the world. Um, you know, like the importance of fiction, especially, is that it enables me to 
put on the skin of another person and live their life for 300 pages. Like I just read um, Their Eyes Were Watching God mm. by Zora Hurston, mm -hmm. and it just blew me away. And like what I love about that is it's a it's I, I as a white middle aged man for a couple hundred pages get to experience life as a black woman in the early 20th century. Mm on a deep level. And like, that's not something that I can intuit on my own. You know, I need that badly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's true of all of us. So like reading is so important at that level, uh, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, that's what it is. It helps us see the eyes of other people. But then on the other hand, like, especially this is what we do in the rabbit room. Like we think of storytelling of art, music, and story as, as gathering points. Mm -hmm. Like we believe if you create something that's excellent, like people will gather around to experience that thing. And the result of that is community. And so like our goal is to create things that are true, good and beautiful, that draw people's eyes to Christ. Uh, and then we trust that if we create a beautiful thing that's well-made, then naturally it will find its way in the world and it, people will gather around it and relationships will be, you know, founded. And, and that you kind of can't measure but we trust that it's happening. And I think we've seen over the years that it is. Yeah. And it's just been wonderful over the last decade and a half to watch the number of people that have gathered around the things that the rabbit room does and have become friends and coworkers and, you know, other publishing houses have been founded and films have been made and albums have been made. And, you know, it's not because we're doing it or funding it. It's because we're encouraging the community uh, in people and then, you know, kind of leaning into the idea that, hey, you can do this too. You know, so it's not about, hey, come join our particular thing. It's like, no, like do it where you are. And every time <laughs> I see that happen, I get so excited. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. You've obviously helped a lot of Christian storytellers kind of tell their story. What advice, if there are, if there are folks who have a passion for making a movie, telling a story, writing a song, what advice would you give them? I would say don't have an agenda, tell the truth, mm. tell the truth about yourself, your story, or whatever your subject is, tell the truth about it and trust that the Holy spirit will take care of the rest. Um, I think where so much stuff goes wrong is when we try to shoehorn messages and agendas into things where they probably don't belong. And like, to me as a storyteller, as a writer, like, I feel like that is a lack of trust in the Holy spirit. You know, when I sit down to write, I pray, Lord, I'm going to do the best I can right here, and I'm going to trust that you're going to speak through it. Uh, but then I just write, and I let that take care of itself, you know. And so, you know, I think in the context of, you know, a lot of my work, you know, I've told entire stories that, you know, don't mention specifics of faith, but are clearly fundamentally faith-oriented, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what I mean. Does that make yeah. sense? That absolutely does. It absolutely does. Thank you so much, Pete. Really appreciate your time. Um, the Hiding Place, playing at theaters August 3rd and 5th. Be looking for it. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Paul. You bet. In our second segment today, I'm joined by Sarah Rasmussen and Emily Chow. Sarah recently reviewed the film Theater Camp, and I've invited Emily to join us too because, well, she brings a personal connection to theater and this topic as well, and I thought it would be fun to have her in this conversation as well. Hey, guys. Hello. Well, before we hear about theater camp, I've got a fun icebreaker for our conversation. What's your favorite musical and why? Go. 
This question is so hard. So hard. Uh, I know so I'm going to choose two. You are like <laughs> a musical monster in a good sense, right? Yes. I wasn't just a theater kid in high school. I was the worst kind of theater kid. You were the kid. theater. And I was the theater. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to choose two. Okay. The first is something I always say, Les Mis. Oh, Les Mis. I love Great the one. music. I love the characters. Uh, and I just have specific memories of listening to the soundtrack on the way home after a musical that closed. I would be so sad and just the dramatics in those musicals really in, or in that music really captured what I was feeling after closing a show. Okay. Um, and the second one is Mary Poppins. I was Mary Poppins my senior year of high school, so it has I could see you special... as Mary Poppins. That works. <laughs> yes, I think the musical That's a compliment by the way. Thank you. I think the musical is practically perfect. <laughs> it is practically perfect. So I have two oh, thoughts, man. one on each of those. Mm. Les Mis is my almost story. I almost okay. got to go see it. I had four throw tickets in New York City and I was no. going to be there for a conference and we got four feet of snow the day I was supposed to leave. <laughs> and I had to cancel the entire trip because we didn't get out of, of the house that, that I lived in for four days. And I still so think, sad. oh, I could have been there. So no, no Les Mis. And my family and I recently watched Mary Poppins. And the thing that struck me is how long the scenes are, like how much shorter our attention span is in a movie form. I mean, some of those scenes, the camera doesn't move for like minutes and minutes and, you know, there's dancing and singing. And I just kept thinking, wow, our attention span today is obliterated because yeah, these scenes are so long. Anyway, that's my, uh, my little feedback on your two choices. Emily, what about you? Um, so I feel like by default, I have to say that Little Women, the musical, is my favorite. There's a musical? Yes. And oh my gosh, it's amazing. Like the music from that makes me sob every single time. But um, the reason I say that is simply because uh, that's where I met my husband. I was doing a community theater production of Little Women, the musical. Um but that's not actually my favorite musical. My favorite musical. Okay, I'm going to have to choose two since you guys are both <laughs> choosing two. <laughs> no, uh, I would say it's probably a tie between, and ironically, I've only ever seen these as movies, not as the actual stage production, which makes me sad. But um, There's still time. <laughs> You're young. Um, I would say probably The Phantom of the Opera or The Greatest Showman. Oh, yeah. I Which isn't even in theater. <laughs> like, you can't, it, that is not a stage production at all. That one's just a movie. So, some people will probably dock me some points for that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not about being a hater, it's about being a fan. So, hopefully, nobody's docking you points for that. I was going to say, all of those musicals, really and truly, just like I have personal connections and stories that go along with them. That's why they stand out to me. I mean, I could go on and on and on listing all the different stage musicals that I've seen in person. But yeah, yeah, I think that really when it comes down to it, it's like, okay, but what do you have a personal connection and a personal story to? Well, so. and I think that's the thing about about musicals and about musical theater, whether we're talking as somebody watching those things or participating, because so many of us, you know, we have had opportunities to participate in stage productions you know, before somebody said, actually, you can't act very well, or actually, you're not a great singer, or actually, you get an ensemble part. Um, you know, there there was this chance to connect with these stories. And so I have two as well. And they were both 
again, that personal connection. I was in South Pacific my freshman year <laughs> of high school, and, and I still have this sort of deep connection with with all those songs because you practice them over and over and over. And even if you don't have a main role, you're there for those practices. And sometimes you even hate them in the moment. It's like, oh, my goodness, are we doing this song again? Uh, but but you just are left with this fond connection with the music and with the stories. And then the other one is Annie. I was in Annie my senior year, uh, and I was an ensemble. I was a butler, I think. I was in um, Annie my freshman year of high aw, school. this bump. <laughs> I was in Annie in eighth grade. Oh, <laughs> see, I think Annie is our group choice then. I'm going to make my, a unilateral my decision. My little sister was Annie. Oh. So, yeah. That's cute. That is cute. Uh, but my daughter was just in Annie. And so to now experience it generationally with mm-hmm. her. Uh, and she had an ensemble role, too. And she was kind of disappointed. I'm like, no, ensemble is good. You get to sing and dance and you don't have to memorize all those lines. You're going to so, make a lot of friends. You're going to make a lot of friends. And such a fun story and such great songs. And I think that that's why musicals connect with us. I think that's part of the reason Glee was so popular. And that's a segue into what we're actually talking about today, not just musicals in general, but but a particular one, Theater Camp. Uh, and Sarah reviewed this movie for us. And I suspect there are some fun things and maybe some things that parents are going to want to know about. So what's the story and what do we need to know about Theater Camp? Indeed. Well... Theater Camp is the story of Adirondacks Theater Camp, and it's run by a wonderful woman named Joan, and she's an inspiration to all of the aspiring young thespians who (laughs) go to the camp. But unfortunately, before the summer starts, she goes to production of Bye Bye Birdie and has a seizure, and that puts her into a coma. So she can't run the camp for the summer. So what happens? Well, I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) That can't be the end of the story. (laughs) Thankfully, it is not. The show must go on. The show must go on. Of course. And the show does go on with her kind of incompetent son named Troy. He is not a theater goer, and he imagines that he has what he calls on Troy preneurship. It's terrible. Cringe. Yeah, very cringe. Uh, And he's not the person to run this camp. But luckily, there are some quirky theater teachers who work there, including Amos, who's played by Ben Platt, Mm. and Rebecca Diane, and the technical director, Glenn. And together, they help the students at Adirond put on a wonderful musical at the end of the summer. So that sounds very heartfelt and very emotional (laughs) and very theatery. What's good and what's bad? Or, pers- or not so good. <laughs> I personally loved this movie. Okay. As a theater kid, I thought it was hilarious. The brunt of most of the jokes were just theater kids making fun of themselves. And that was hilarious. Um, and it was also, I think if... Is it satirical on any level? It or is, is it just sort of exaggerated for comedy's sake or both? I would say both. It's filmed in a mockumentary style, so similar to that of The Office. Oh, okay. So there are a lot of little side quips and just like little little facial expressions that you'll catch. And it's just, if you did theater in high school, it's so relatable. Like there's this one scene where they put up the cast list and kids wake up early and are like pushing each other to go see it. And that's just, that's theater in a nutshell. Well, and and I will say as a parent of... Uh, a theater daughter, we have had so many nights where the cast list is now digital. You know, they email mm-hmm. it. And it's like, 
it's midnight and they're like and it's like and I we're have like to they see said it. that they were gonna send it out tonight <laughs> and we're like waiting up till we can't keep our eyes open anymore it's like oh i guess it's not coming and then you get up and it's like christmas day the next morning because they sent it at two in the morning you know it's <laughs> like come on people try harder well what's crazy is that what you're not thinking about is the behind the scenes of that which is where if you're the person trying to make this decision you're literally sitting there with all these like headshots and (laughs) theater resumes and you're like maybe have two other people who are helping you pick the cast and you guys are just sitting there like debating for hours like it's it is an exhausting process so it's like you know we're all upset because they didn't send the list till 2 a.m but they're sitting there going dude i was up till 2 a.m trying to figure this list out (laughs) trying to do the right thing for everybody and don't come at me (laughs) there was actually a scene about that in the movie all of the adults were like around a table and they were really stressed they were putting out all the headshots and like and saying like i think this person should be here i think they should be here and it was it was very funny. Yeah. So I'm guessing that this movie is not perfect. Actually, I know it's not perfect. So unfortunately, what are it the, is what not. are the issues? Like if if you have a young theater fan or participant in your family, and they're like, "Oh, I want to see this," as a Christian parent, what what do they need to know about the content that's going to show up here? The content really disappointed me. Yeah. I think if the movie had stuck to the theater jokes, I could recommend it to like my 12-year-old brother who also it, likes it's theater. It's PG-13, right? It is, yes. And if they had stuck to the theater jokes, it probably could have been PG. But unfortunately, they, for some reason, make a lot of problematic spirituality jokes and also okay. a lot of drug references oh. that are played as jokes. And both of those... Really, honestly, from even a storytelling perspective and not a plugged in perspective, it took me out of the story. It wasn't necessary. So, so it was a distraction. It was. It sounds like maybe they were trying a little too hard. Yeah, I think they were trying to be funny, trying to put in too many jokes, and it just, they didn't work for me. Uh, and I think parents will also want to be aware of the profanity in this movie. There, even though it's PG 13, there are actually two uses of the F word um, okay. one in a song, one in a completely unnecessary scene. Um, and there's also a lot of LGBT content. Um, Amos, played by Ben Platt, is gay. And there's also a scene that, um, like, in the musical that they put on in the end, there are guys dressing up as girls, although that might just be a theater choice. But Sure. So it sounds like, unfortunately, there's a lot to kind of navigate here. And, yes. you know, one of the things you mentioned was that you really liked it personally. And I think that's one of the things that we really wrestle with here at Plugged In is that sometimes we'll be reviewing something that it really does connect with us personally. And yet it has so much content that it's not something that we can come down in a a positive way on. And there's a lot of tension in that, even in what we do, right? I mean, Emily, you've been here several years. You might Mm -hmm. be able to to speak to some of that. No, I mean, like you just, you said it. I mean, you you can resonate with the theme or the message of a movie, but it could still have a lot of really problematic content that maybe as an adult, you're able to navigate that and you're able to, you know, just turn on your mental filter and be, and ignore it. But, you know, sometimes there's a lot of content happening even with your filter on and you're just kind of like, you know, you walk out of a theater going, you know, that movie was 
could have been great. <laughs> you yeah. know, I feel like that's what that's like the motto of <laughs> Plugged In. That movie could have been great. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think that we do try to talk somewhat about our personal encounter and engagement with a given story. And yet we're also trying to be on that plugged in page. It's not about, you know, what Adam or Sarah or Emily has to say. It's what does plugged in need to say and how are Adam and Sarah and and everybody else on our team, Emily, how are we representing that plugged in perspective? So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's sort of just a little bit of behind the scenes about, you know, what it's like to work at plugged in. I think that's one of actually the more challenging things that we have to deal with. So Sarah, thanks so much for bringing us up to speed on theater camp and letting people know what they need to know about it. And as always, you can find Sarah's full review at pluggedin.com. Well, now it's time for a segment of our show we call Pop Culture Connection, wherein our producer, Ashley, hey, Ashley. Hey, Adam. Gives us some questions that have to do with pop culture, and we have 30 seconds to give as many answers as possible. And Ashley doesn't know that I'm going to do this, but Ashley also has a massive theater connection, all all sorts of things. Sometimes I should have you on and talk about your whole experience with theater. But (laughs) Ashley, what's your favorite musical? I would have to say, I was proud of you for saying South Pacific because there's so many layers to that show. And I love that show. But my personal favorite is Into the Woods. Into the Woods. (laughs) We did that last year. Yes. So much fun. Actually, I have no idea what it's about. But I, I assume it's the fun. Original, it's, I've <laughs> seen the original cast. Like the, is that Little Red Riding Hood? Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's all of them. Like, it's Little Red Riding oh, Hood, Cinderella, okay. Rapunzel, mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. The original with Bernadette Peters. Yes, that fantastic. was the one I was going yes. oh, Bernadette Peters. I love yeah. Bernadette Shout out Peters. for Bernadette. Shout out. All right, and now back to our game. Alrighty. Thank you for that theatrical interlude. Of course. <laughs> All right, so Sarah, let's have you go first. Okay. All right. No pressure. This is an easy, easy question. What celebrity would you like to interview and why? Oh my gosh. Um, I guess, well, since we're talking about Into the Woods, maybe Meryl Streep. She's oh. awesome. She has a fantastic voice. We were talking about uh, Mary Poppins earlier. She was in Mary Poppins Returns, mm-hmm. and that was, well, I didn't like the movie, but she was <laughs> in it. Uh, uh, she is just so talented. She's in everything. Um, she also can do serious things. She has such a range as an actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been, She has acted with very popular people yes yes good it almost feels unfair that she can sing too right (laughs) yeah i mean she's like generationally probably the best female actress alive right now you could make the case we Mm -hmm. won't have that argument no we can't ever have that argument (laughs) and she can sing and it just feels and the emotion in uh, mamma mia 2 when she comes yeah anyway I don't want to give any spoilers, but that's a really powerful, <laughs> powerful moment. That movie's been out a while now, so. Yes. <laughs> if yes. there are spoilers, that's on <laughs> They're spoiled. That's on you. It's your fault. Who's second? Who's Emily. going next? Emily. Emily. Oh, you're, how many points did she get? She got five. She got five. Emily, you're in an escape room. Which team would you rather have in the room with you? The Avengers, the Power Rangers, the Thunderbirds, or the A-team, or one of your choice? Why? Oh. Um, wow. 
I want none of those teams. Um, <laughs> but I also can't think of another one off the top of my head. So I'm just going to go with the Avengers. I feel like I really hope Hulk's not in there as Hulk because he'll probably just smash everything to bits. Although, you know, a lot of clues are hidden inside of things. So maybe that could be useful. Uh, Bruce Banner would be, uh, he'd probably be able to logic out some of the things. Um, definitely want, you know, Iron Man in there. He, Tony... He knows everything, so <laughs> I love it. So my favorite yes. thing about your answer is that you turned logic into a verb. <laughs> you said he could logic out. I'm like, I like that. I like it. Sometimes I, I feel like I need watching... to. You can Hulk out or you can logic out. <laughs> I think I've been watching too much Star Trek recently. There's a yeah. lot of lot of logic jokes in there with you know the Vulcans and whatnot. See, <laughs> my answer would have been the Star Trek team, so they could have just beamed us out. It's a cheat, yes. right? Because you there know you the Kobayashi Maru in <laughs> Star right. Trek too. Kirk doesn't believe in the no-win situation. Can, right. can I change my answer? Because now that I'm thinking about it, I want the cast of Voyager. Oh, wow. Star Trek Voyager. Nice. Because you get Tuvok, Catherine Janeway, Harry Kim, <laughs> uh, Tom Paris, Belana Torres, Chakotay. Like, seriously, those guys would do, they would just do bomb in an escape room. Yeah. The doctor also. Ooh, they see, would. I want and it. we're not going to use this as a precedent for giving two answers to your I know, question. But I, know. I love we're not, your second we're, answer. We're not making this into my official answer. I'm just saying that I want this to be a TV show now. I want them to re- <laughs> do a reunion cast episode where Star they're just Trek in the escape room. Yes. <laughs> okay, I would choose the original NCC-1701D. Yeah. That's just me. That's just you. Enterprise. The Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was Enterprise. just thinking with Kirk and Bones and Spock. All right. Adam. Hello. Your question is, do you prefer an action flick or a romantic comedy and why? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. I'll probably go action flick, which feels really stereotypical. But, you know, I like action. I like when the plot keeps moving. I like when we get lots of fun stunts like Tom Cruise does. Mm. I like watching, you know, Harrison Ford running in front of a giant ball, which is pretty much a (laughs) metaphor for my life, which is why Raiders is the best action movie of all time, which is a different question Mm -hmm. for a different podcast. Um, I like romance, but I think I like action better. It just engages me more. Uh, you know, my inner dude. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All yeah. right. Well, I did not say, but I got four points for Emily, four points for you. So that makes Sarah, Sarah's our, our winner. winner. You had That's to win so at exciting. least once while you're here with us. <laughs> I'm honored. <laughs> Sarah is the winner. So, and I will say it's been such a blast to have you here as our intern this summer. So thank you, Sarah, for thank you for bringing your personality and your perspective and so much to the table and even in our conversation today i loved what you had to say about theater camp so it was such a pleasure who knows maybe there'll be an encore somewhere down the road and and you can rejoin our plugged in show conversation oh that'd be great all right well i want to thank sarah and i also want to thank you for taking some time to join us today what did you think of paul's conversation with pete peterson have you seen the hiding place either the old one or the new one and what did you think about it And then, of course, are you a theater fan or a musical fan? And just as I asked everyone here, what is your favorite musical? We want to hear from you. And you can let us know at team at thepluggedinshow.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. And if you go to thepluggedinshow.com page, you'll find a little tab on the right-hand side 
where you can leave us a voicemail. This feels like a great opportunity for somebody to leave us a voicemail. Absolutely. On your favorite musical and why we really want to hear from you. Could even sing us a song. Sing us it. a song. It could be, you know, the beginning of your musical theater career. Ah, there we are. And maybe we'll put it on a future show. So thanks so much for listening to us today. We love connecting with you each week as we talk about all things pop culture and entertainment related and how they connect with your family. We know that you have lots of things that you could choose to do with your time. So we're honored to have you at the table metaphorically with us as we talk about these things week in and week out. And we look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the back seat. It's tough to be a step ahead. And full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts.